So, two, two readings tonight. Um, the first from Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 5, and it's on page 9 if you want to find it in the Pew Bible. Page 9. The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I'll show you, and I'll make you into a great nation and I'll bless you. I'll make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife, Sari, his nephew, Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they'd acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. And the second New Testament reading, Galatians 3, 25 to 29, You'll find it on page 944 in the Pew Bible. We've arrived at this extraordinary radical statement, as Justin said, of our identity in Christ. Before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody under the law, locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. So the law was our guardian, until Christ came, that we might be justified by faith. And now that this faith has come, we're no longer under a guardian. So, in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and you are heirs according to that promise. Thanks, Bronwyn. Uh, great to be with you this evening um, as we continue this series um, in terms of uh, Galatians. Good evening, my name's Roger Bray. Uh, as you know, I'm part of this congregation and it's great to be here with you. Uh, if you're visiting, uh, welcome. It's great to you and hi to the guys on live stream as well. Um, Justin, thank you for the opportunity to uh, speak from God's Word this evening. It's a joy to be able to unpack this passage with you uh, and to think about what it actually means for us. Uh, if you've been with us for the last few weeks, what you'll know is that we've been working our way through uh, the book of Galatians, and tonight we're coming to that passage in Galatians chapter 3, verses 23 to 29, and you might like to have that uh, connected before you. Uh, the underlying message of Galatians has been uh, that Paul is addressing a particular situation. Um, the Gentile followers of Jesus have been persuaded, or at least someone's been trying to persuade them, that they should get circumcised. Um, and Paul's trying to say, no, 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 that's not a good plan. Uh, and in the process, he's been helping us understand uh, the situation of the Jews themselves, 
And we presume he's doing this because this is the best argument in which to persuade uh, the new Christians who are Gentiles that actually being circumcised is not part of God's plan for them going forward. Now, of course, he's looking back and he's thinking about uh, the Jewish law and the way that it works uh, with the Jews and now with the Gentiles, uh, but he's also looking forward. Uh, he just doesn't want to look back. He actually wants us to look forward and think about the transforming life that Christ is offering us. And so I've entitled this uh, particular sermon, God's Story, The Babysitter and Your New Outfit. Well, let's think about Galatians in the context of God's big story. Uh, please don't read all the little bits of writing down there, but basically the big picture is this. God created the world... Uh, after creating the world, people turned their back on God. And they said, we want to go our own way. And that's described as the fall. However, God in his graciousness and kindness said, I want to bring a people back to myself. And so we see throughout the pages of the Old Testament, God redeeming a people for himself that finds its completion in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ's death and resurrection. And then as a result of that, he wants us to be renewed, to live a new life, to move forward, to face the future. And then we have this beautiful vision of a restoration, a time in the future when all things will be made new. And so it's a beautiful and grand story and it's the story that the Bible describes us as being in. This is our story, the Bible says. This is the way we, things have unfolded for us. But in particular, as we come to Galatians, as I've mentioned already, what's happening is, even though we have seen the redemption in Jesus Christ, as seen in Galatians chapter 1, verses 2 to 5, grace and peace to you from our Lord and Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of God our Father, even though there has been redemption through Jesus' death and resurrection on the cross, there are people trying to persuade those Galatians to go backwards, to look back to the law, to look back to come under the Torah in a particular way. But Paul is saying, actually, no, and I want you to face forward. I want you to go forward. I want you to look forward in terms of what it means to be renewed. Now, that process of redemption has taken a long time, and we heard some of the promises that were made to Abram um, at the beginning of the service in that reading. And so this story has been a long one, but Paul is saying, actually, we're into a new phase here. And so that's what we want to look at tonight, that particular phase and God's story and the babysitter. Well, as we continue on the passage in Galatians chapter 3, verses 23 to 25, we read these words. Before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody under the law, locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. So the law was our guardian until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. Now that this faith has come, we are no longer under this guardian. Now, notice a couple of things here. First of all, what was before? What is the coming of this faith? Uh, if you were with us last week, the bishop told us that actually, if you look at verse 22, it's the coming of Christ's faithfulness uh, in this process. So we are joined into Christ's faithfulness. So this is about 
before the coming of Christ and his faithfulness. And then it says, we were held in custody. Uh, Who's the we here? Well, it could be the whole church in Galatia. But since Paul is going to then start talking about the law, I'm guessing that he actually has the Jewish people in mind, those who've been under the Torah, under the law. Whatever the case is, his point is that it's vital for the Galatians to understand the role and the effect of the Torah, not because they're under it themselves, but because they're being invited to be under it now. And so he wants to explain how this works. So he continues, before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody under the law, locked up. And then he goes on and says, the law was our guardian. Now, there's a lot of debate around exactly what Paul is saying at this point and what does he mean by the law performing in this way. Um, Particularly since if you look uh, back in a couple of verses beforehand, he talks about being put in jail. Uh, And so is this custody and being locked up? What is this idea of being put in jail? Uh, This idea that the law is our guardian. Uh, For many people, the idea is that the law is a kind of schoolmaster. Um, In fact, if you go back to the King James Version, you'll see this translated as the schoolmaster. A schoolmaster drives you, helps you learn, takes you in a particular direction, and if you're not careful, gives you the cane, uh, that kind of thing. The schoolmaster is very stern and drives you in a particular way. Now, that's the most common suggestion. In fact, Luther in his commentary, uh, this is a little snap from his commentary on Galatians, The schoolmaster, therefore, is appointed for the child to teach him, to bring him up and to keep him, as it were, in prison. Referring to this passage, this is how Martin Luther uh, thought about these particular kinds of words. Now, this kind of thinking has had a huge influence uh, on the way that we think about the law and the way that Torah works, but also on youth ministry. Uh, Martin Luther applied this to youth ministry uh, in his day. Listen to these words. Indeed, as infant boys need beyond all else to be cherished by the hands of maidens to keep them from perishing, yet when they are grown up, their salvation is endangered if they associate with maidens. So the inexperienced and perverse youth need to be restrained and trained by the iron bars of ceremonies, lest their unchecked ardour rush headlong into vice after vice. He uses this concept to say, basically, young people need to be kept in the iron bars of ceremonies or the iron bars of the law. Now, it's kind of fascinating because, in fact, this has actually worked out in terms of the way youth ministry is done. I used to be a youth minister. I saw it all the time. Have you ever heard of the book called Kiss Dating Goodbye? I think that's an example of what Luther was talking about here. Keeping people in the iron bars of ceremony so that lest their ardour, whatever that is, escape. And so it's really interesting to think about whether that's actually what is meant here. Now, of course, there is wisdom in, in, in some of those suggestions and a thoughtfulness about that that needs to be there. And of course, uh, we need to think about that, particularly in a broader context of parenting. Um, if we are training our young people and our children in terms of fear and being fearful of what might come, then they'll grow up fearful and perhaps once you're no longer in authority, run away from that. 
Whereas if we are to train our children in a different way, not out of fear, not in the iron bars of ceremony, there might actually be a different result. And so some others have done some thinking about this. Um, N.T. Wright has come up with another suggestion, which I think I find attractive. Um, And this is what he says. When he comes to this passage, he says, when we look at this idea of being held into custody under the law, locked up, what it's referring to is actually the Roman system of locking people up. Basically, what used to happen is people were put into a holding cell until it was decided by the court what to do with them. And so this notion of being locked up was not a punishment in and of itself, but was a place where you put undesirables until a court case had taken place. Now, in some senses, that that fits rather well, I think, because if you think about us being uh, those under the law, being kept in prison until the judgment comes and the judgment is in Christ and on Christ on our, in our, on our behalf, then we are set free. Now, the next thing to notice is that the law was our guardian. There's a kind of metaphor shift which actually shifts the whole passage in one direction, as we'll see. And that metaphor shift is to think about the law as our guardian, not as a schoolmaster or tutor, but more like a babysitter. Uh, Because one of the ways we could describe what is happening here is the word that's used, that's sometimes translated schoolmaster, can be actually uh, described as a babysitter because in Roman times there was a slave whose job was it uh, to get children to school. They didn't teach children. They didn't nurture them in that way. They just basically stopped them getting up to mischief on their way to school. And they were the babysitter of those who they were taking to school. And so they were used for certain purposes. And I think what Paul may be saying here is that, well, the law is our guardian. It's used for certain purposes. It helps us get to school, so to speak, get to the end of the day. Now, there's all kinds of implications uh, of this. Uh, Whatever view you take, actually, there are a number of different implications. For example, right at the end of the passage, the most important implication is, is described this way. Now that there is faith, that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. That's Paul's point. Whether you think of it as schoolmaster or a babysitter, however you come to that, that process, no longer are we under um, the law as a guardian. We're in a different phase. Now that, of course, has other implications. Your seafood is safe. Uh, You may remember, back in Leviticus, there are all kinds of rules about what you should should and shouldn't be doing. If you are under the law, you will not eat shellfish. You can only eat finned animals. Tonight, I would be disobeying the law because I'm wearing different kinds of fabrics. I've got wool and cotton and various things on. Paul is saying we're no longer under that guardianship. But if you're a thinking person, you might say, well, hang on, whoa, I can see that makes sense, but there are a whole lot of other commandments and laws that seem to make sense for my Christian life now. How do they work out? What works there? What's my relationship to this law? Well, we haven't got time to go into it all tonight, 
But I want to suggest that if you're a thinking Christian, you explore what it is. And I want to recommend a book called Paul and the Law by Brian Rosner, where he explores this exact thought. And one of the conclusions he comes to, not the only conclusion he comes to, is this. In terms of keeping the commandments of God, the law is useful to Christians in two ways, as prophecy and as wisdom. Now, there's more to be said. Okay, so that's not the, that's not the whole book. And I want to recommend, if you really want a serious study of this, pick up a book like that and think about it more richly and deeply. But it's helpful to note that we're no longer under the guardianship in the same way. And so, therefore, the, for the Galatians, they no longer have to be circumcised. That's Paul's point. They are no longer needing to be circumcised. Well, if that's God's story, that's the babysitter, what about this idea of a new outfit? Well, as Paul continues, uh, he wants to point us forward. He's dealt with the past, now he's wanting to point us for, forward in terms of God's story. And he says this, So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you have been baptised into Christ, have been clothed yourselves with Christ. So immediately we learn two things from this, or a number of things, sorry, from this idea of being children of God through faith. First of all, notice that Paul is saying that they are already children. It's not that they're becoming children, they've actually been adopted into God's family because of what Jesus has done on their behalf. They are God's children. It's certain, it's sealed, it's done. Notice also he's not saying everyone's a child of God. Uh, it's possible to read this and to think, well, everybody's a child of God, aren't they? Because God created the world and actually he created human beings and therefore we're all kind of children of God. Well, I guess in some sense we are, but... You notice the qualifying statement here. You are children of God through faith. Through what Christ has done for you, through believing in what Christ has done for you and adopting it as your own. But of course, raising this idea of children also raises a number of other ideas and other thoughts for us. Little children are pretty good at being helpless unable to do things for themselves. I have recently, in the last couple of years, become a grandfather. The joy of becoming a grandfather. Uh, Augie, or Augustine, is about three years old. Curly, blonde hair. Saw him this afternoon. Delightful. He's a bit helpless, but probably even more helpless is Millicent, who joined us, Millie, who joined us about six weeks ago. And she's just a tiny little baby. And she's completely helpless. She needs her parents for absolutely everything. And of course she needs her grandparents as well. For absolutely everything. She's completely helpless, completely dependent on her parents. What's also obvious about little children is that they're a mess. They're just messy individuals. We go downstairs, get a baby cappuccino, it's all over Augie's face. They leave our apartment. We've tried to clean up, but really the place is a mess. Kids are just messy. 
That's just the way they are. And yet, even though they are helpless and they are messy, they are supremely confident in their parents' love. The first thing all he does when he's hurt is run to his mum or his dad. They're confident in what God has done, in in their father's love. And we too can be confident in what God has done for us. You can see the link there, can't you? The truth is that um, often, if we've been involved in church for a long time, this idea of being a child of God through faith is not really that newer concept. I think the difficulty we have is experiencing it, knowing it truly within our hearts. One old-time preacher put it like this, as he tried to describe what it means to, to experience what it means to be a child of God. A man and his little child are walking down the road. They are walking hand in hand, and the child knows that he is the child of the father. He knows that the father loves him and rejoices in him. He's happy with him. There's no uncertainty about the relationship between the father and the son. But suddenly, the father, moved by some impulse, takes hold of the child, picks him up, embraces him, kisses him, showers him with love, and then puts the child down, and they continue walking hand in hand. The child knows that the father loves him as they walk hand in hand. But that father embraces the child with such love and an outpouring of wonder and grace that the child knows and experiences the love of the father in a new and rich way. And I want to suggest to you that as children of God, you, who is everyone, Gentiles and Jews, are embraced by the Father in that way, that he wants to pick you up and hold you in his arms and draw you to himself, that he wants to love you in the way that we love our children and our grandchildren, our nieces and our nephews. He wants to embrace us and say, look, I know you're helpless. I know you're a mess but I want to hold you. You are a child of God through faith. That's not the only wonder here. That would be sufficient enough, but that's not the only wonder here. What we learn next is that as a child of God, we receive new outfits. See what Paul says? So in Christ Jesus, you are children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptised into Christ have... Clothe yourselves with Christ. Now, of course, this idea of putting on garments, putting on Christ is a familiar theme for Paul. And what it's communicating is that our primary identity is in Christ. Our our clothing, what we wear, the way we wear it, tells people a lot about ourselves, doesn't it? You choose to wear certain things and it's part of your identity. It's part of who you are. It says things to people who are looking on. And in the same way, when we put on Christ and put on his garments, it talks of our identity in Christ. It connects us to Christ. It speaks, of course, of the closeness of relationship 
with Christ as well. If we're putting on his garments, uh, your garments are the closest thing to your body. It speaks of an intimacy, a closeness in relationship. It speaks of an acceptability to God. God, as it were, through Christ and his work, is giving us new clothes to wear. Clothes which we wear both on Sundays and Mondays and Tuesdays and Wednesdays and Thursdays and Fridays and Saturdays. Clothes which we wear to church. Clothes which we wear to work. Clothes which we wear to the restaurant, to the sports we're playing. Wherever we are, we're wearing these clothes, these clothes that have been put on us because of what Christ has done. This is our new identity. This is who we are in Christ. Now, this has all kinds of implications for the way we're living our lives together. You may have noticed we as a culture are pretty obsessed with curating our own stories. Uh, Any cafe you go into around the world, you have people doing this. Uh, Whether it's of the food, of themselves, of the people that they're with, there's an obsession with curating our own stories and then posting it on social media. And we know how curated these things are. I remember standing at the art gallery not long ago and there were some women who took at least 20 shots of them standing together and each time they'd stop and look and go, no, that wasn't good enough, and they'd take another one. And, of course, you knew what was going to happen. That was going to then end up on social media. They were going to curate who they were so that other people could say, oh, that's who you are. That's your identity. That's the way that you work. But, of course, this passage is in complete contradiction to that. You do not find your identity that way. You do not find your identity by curating your own stories. You do not find your own identity by looking inwards. You find your own identity by locating yourself in God's big story, in looking to him. Just recently, Brian Rosner has written about this, and he says this, in direct contradiction, sorry, about this particular passage, actually, In direct contradiction of expressive individualism, in baptism, we affirm that we are not closed, self-sufficient, autonomous units, but rather connected to others in a shared story. Baptism speaks of our shared memory and defining destiny that form our identity in Christ. We belong to God's story. We die with Christ to self-interest, to self-assertion, and we rise to a new life now and most fully in the future. It's a radically different view of who we are. Are looking to Christ rather than looking to ourselves for our own identity. Of course, the most important implication in this text and for the Galatians is what Paul says next. And that is, as a result of being clothed in Christ, as a result of being a child of God, as a result of no longer being under the babysitter, both Jews and Gentiles come together. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, nor slave nor freed. There is neither male or female. You are all one in Christ. 
Now, there's a temptation to take that implication and to kind of say, let, it just flattens everything. It means that we're all exactly the same. I really do not think that's what Paul is saying here. After all, he's speaking to Jews and Gentiles and he's actually making the distinction within his letter and he's noticing the different things that they're committed to. He's saying they're united in Christ, but he's not saying stop being Jewish, stop being a Gentile. He's saying be united in Christ. He's speaking to some of the most significant barriers in our world. You know, the cultural barrier, the Jew and and Greek barriers are just barriers that play themselves out in all kinds of different ways in our world. I think, uh, some of you will know, I grew up in Malaysia when I was younger. I returned home to Australia when I was about 15. And as you can tell, I'm fairly white. But I walked into a school where racism was just really evident. And I've continued to think, actually, Australians are pretty racist kind of people. It's kind of just part of who we are. That's a sad indictment. And the reason I noticed it is because I was Asian in my thinking and the way I approached things, and there was all kinds of unexpected results as, as a result of that. But the truth is, even in our churches, I've just heard some stories recently of churches in Sydney where the racism is just awful. There's also the kind of class barrier that I think he is addressing here, that we are neither slave nor free. I think what he's addressing is, well, there's some people who are economically better off and others who are not. That should not be a distinction within our churches. We belong as one together because of what Christ has done. And then probably the most contentious one at the moment, and can I say, actually, when you look through history, each one of these is contentious at different times in history. Sometimes it's the cultural barrier, sometimes it's the class barrier. At the moment, the gender barrier is, is, the, is the biggest, biggest contentious, contention here. But when Paul originally spoke these words, as you would know, women were treated extremely poorly. Now, we may have come a long way and not far enough, but Paul is saying, actually, in Christ, we are valued as much together. Not to flatten out the differences, because he's very clear there are differences. He'll say that in passages in Ephesians and Colossians. But to recognise that in Christ, we are of the same value. We have both been clothed with Christ. And of course, you can see just the most radical implications of this. The very reason women were started to be treated better in history was because of these kinds of words. As the Christian church started to treat one another better, as people within churches started to understand what it meant to be one in Christ, all of a sudden that started to have impact on the society around them. And I want to say, suggest to you, we need to recapture that imagination. Now, I asked Justin if I could share with you a little bit about what I do during the week. And one of the things I do is I work for City to City Asia Pacific. And one of the things we're doing in City to City Asia Pacific, in fact, my role, is to work with leaders in the major cities of Asia, with the Christian leaders there, to help them think about what it means to collaborate 
in order to see greater church planting and greater revitalization and to see cities transformed. It's a small task. No, it's huge and it's way beyond me. But what I'm seeing is something absolutely beautiful. Christians who understand that they are children of God, Christians who understand that they've been clothed with Christ, are coming together. On the left-hand side, you'll see um, part of a picture of a city-to-city intensive that we ran for church planters. Um, We've all got funny hats on because that's the end of our time together. Uh, Not everyone's pictured because some people are in sensitive countries. Uh, But there are people from Bhutan and Nepal and Singapore and Thailand and Malaysia, all kinds of different places. And guess what? There's Anglicans, there's Baptists, there's Presbyterians, there's Independent, there's Charismatics, there's Reformed, you know, there's, there's all kinds of different people. And the reason they're gathering is because they know that they are children of God being transformed by his love. They know that they are part of God's story and they want to see that story played out in the cities that they're in. On the right is me standing there with a group of pastors in South Korea. I was just there a couple of weeks ago. And we've been training those pastors to think about how they can support other pastors. And once again, there are Baptists and Presbyterians and people from different churches gathering together because we are one in Christ, yes, there are distinctions, yes, there are differences, and we don't always agree, but we see what God has called us to. And I'm just plain excited about what God is doing all over the Asia Pacific. He's doing it in other parts of the world as well. But God is bringing together such diverse people because there's such a need. I was speaking to one person in Kuala Lumpur just recently in a particular part of Kuala Lumpur where he's um, been gathering pastors together, they worked out that if they planted one church per week, they could not keep up with the volume of people coming into Kuala Lumpur who need to hear the gospel. They've got no choice but to work together. (laughs) It's the only way it's going to even start to happen. And can I say that's what we need here in Sydney as well. A just genuine desire to kind of see the world around us and to unify in Christ, not to, to recognise there are differences, there are challenges, but to see how we work together. And so tonight, as we think about this passage, think about how it fits in God's story, recognise that the law has been a ba- babysitter and is still useful, recognise the new outfit you're in, and I invite you to think about how will you go about this week with that new outfit on. Amen.